0: Amen. Not only is the size of the band growing, but the instruments are growing, too. What are you feeding that group? Growing to the glory of God as well. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that offering. Well, good morning once again. Thank you for paddling here to church this morning with our wet weather. Um, I think it's supposed to this is supposed to be the last of it for a little while. I think we'll see about that, but. Um, I'm ready for blue skies. I don't know about you, but I am definitely ready for blue skies. Well, we are in sermon number eight in our series or our study on the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs has this book has been described as the uh, practical application of the law of the um, of the Pentateuch or of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. If you read the laws of God, and you think, well, what does that look like in real life? And Proverbs is often described with all of these little words of wisdom. It's described on how this is lived out in everyday life. And so that's what we've been looking at this year. Last week, or actually last month, Communion Sunday, we looked at what it looked like to be wise in our business practices, a wise business. And there are Proverbs that teach us the differences between um, being generous and being greedy and how that works out in the end of our business practices. Also, honesty and dishonesty, and then the difference between laziness and working hard. So, So Proverbs is just filled with practical teachings on how to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there are three more topics. If you break them down into main topics, there are three more topics that we want to look at out of this book. Uh, one is wise words. One is the wise, what I'll call the wise family. And then one would be wise friendships. So three major categories. And um, when I've been looking at these, trying to figure out, can I, you'll know that there's basically three more Sundays for this year. And I really was hoping to try to pack 12 or 11 different sermons into this season so that we could finish and start another series fresh. But as I've been looking at these three topics, it's not going to happen. There's too much to cover. And I've really, really tried to 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 condense them into one sermon. But I thought even the idea of a, what does a family look like? Proverbs has so much to say about what a family looks like. wise living within the family? And I would have to miss so much. Um, So what's the sense of studying a book if we're not going to at least touch the major themes and I got still have to let a lot of things go. So we're not going to make the deadline that I imposed upon myself to uh, finish this by January. This morning, we're going to look at what I'm calling wise words, which would be wise speech or wise conversation. And even this is going to be broken down into two sermons. I actually uh, if you look at the bulletin there, it There's two categories, and I'm only only going to be speaking on the first category this morning, and that is being self-controlled in our speech. So this morning we want to learn about um, wise words. Are we using our words, just our everyday speech, in the way that God intends? Our conversations, are we using our words... As God intends yesterday morning, I woke to the tragic news and I usually try to look at the news at least once a day. And I went on the web, the news website, and I read about the tragic news of how uh, the U.S. was in an effort to retake the city of Kunduz in Afghanistan that had been taken over by the Taliban an effort to regain that city that they had bombed it, but also had hit a hospital there um, that belonged to, or at least the people that were using it, were Doctors Without Borders, which is a is a charitable organization. Um, they do wonderful things. They treat people that either can't afford it or don't have access to this kind of medical treatment. It's a, it's a phenomenal charitable organization. And unfortunately, the report was that nine or ten doctors had been killed and, and others had been injured. And they, they, the, the consensus was that um, they're looking into it because there were, there were not enough factual details to really offer any report on it. But it, it, a fact was that it had been hit and people had been killed, and that's all they knew about it. But um, that little bit of information didn't keep people from chiming in with their two cents about what they thought was going on. In today's social media, we have the opportunity not just to talk about things with one another, but to, to spread it on the world wide web. And in a lot of times when you go on a website and look at the news underneath are opportunities for you to chime in, for you to give your two cents and your opinion about that article. Most time I don't pay any attention to those things. But this Saturday morning, the comments were coming so quickly. It just kept blinking. And I thought, what are people having to say about this? And it was interesting because all my heart was this message about speech, about using our words wisely. And it was pretty incredible what people were saying when there there really aren't that there aren't enough facts to to say much about this. Uh, Well, a lot of people blamed it on uh, bashed Obama for it because he's the commander in chief. And it was his fault that this accident happened. Some people blame the bloodthirsty, warmongering Republicans who who own Congress or dominate Congress. It's their fault. Uh, Some people said, what do you expect from a military that has adopted affirmative action and allows gays into it? You know, there's just all of these opinions and and things and some of them were rude and hurtful and and crude. So the fact that the facts were not there yet didn't stop people from giving their two cents. So it didn't stop them from saying hurtful things. It didn't stop them from exposing themselves as uh, ignorant or the false accusations or the judgments. And so like our friend uh, Tobiah in the book of Nehemiah, they're stirring up a lot of people and what they had to say really were intended to stir up trouble. Just like Tobiah did against God's man, Nehemiah, by publishing these letters that basically bashed him as well. So should we be concerned about this kind of rhetoric, this kind of speech as in our day and age and in our world? Is this something that we should really be concerned about and take notice of? Or is it just the world we need, we live in and we need to just get over ourselves about it? In our country, we have freedom of speech, which is a a beautiful, wonderful thing. How much freedom do we have with our speech when it comes to God? Does God impose guidelines, restrictions? Does he impose proper and improper ways to say things and how they're said and when to say them? So is it, is it really such a big deal or am I about to preach two sermons, one today and then next month, that uh, will make something out of nothing? For you, how powerful do you think words can be? Are words powerful in your life? Can something as a single word or comment make you a friend for life? And can something as a simple word or comment make you an enemy for life? Well, How powerful and important are the words that we say? What words have we spoken this morning? How many of our words, even just this morning, and the day is still young, how many of our words this morning line up with what we will see Proverbs calls wise words, wise speech? Well, there are a lot of random, as you know how Proverbs is, it's hard to really categorize things, and there's a lot of random verses about what we say and don't say, and I will not look at all of them even in two sermons But I've tried to to make it easier by categorizing them in two major um, groups. And the first is that idea of self-control, exercising self-control in our speech. And that's what we'll look about, look at this morning. Limited versus unlimited. So many of us grew up with this saying. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words or some people say names will never hurt me. Did you ever say that as a kid? Just curious. Uh, OK, so that is kind of a dated saying now. So I saw the hands that went up. I said it as a kid. And obviously, uh, apparently that we've moved on to something else. I don't know what they say. A lot of it's your mama jokes these days about how to protect yourself. But th- that saying that I said myself growing up um, is absolutely false. At taking taken at face value. It's an absolutely false statement. But it was understood. It was actually a good comeback in its day because it was understood to mean this. Even though you're trying to hurt me with your words, I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to let them penetrate my heart and my mind. I'm not going to let them get me down. I'm not going to believe them. I'm I'm going to choose not to listen to them so that they don't hurt me. So it's an active choice. And everybody understood that when it was spoken in that day. And it's a good thing. It takes courage to not let... Words that are aimed to hurt us, um, hurt us, choose not to be verbally assaulted in that way. But the fact of the matter is, words can and do. Uh, Verbal assaults can and do hurt us, harm us, hurt our feelings, set us back. When I think of verbal assaults, um, names, you know, the sticks and stones, name calling and things, the I think the uh, one of the best actually it's the best example of what not to do, not how to call one another names, is in the was in the movie Sandlot. Um, I know that some of you here have watched the movie Sandlot. It's kind of one of those classic movies of kids in the summer of 1962. A bunch of young guys just growing up together. They became really good friends in 1962, and a lot of it centered around their love for baseball. Baseball was huge back in then, and kids just ate it up. And um, they, they, they went into this little war of wor- words in that movie. And today, in this day and age, you, there's a lot of your mama stuff that goes around. Everybody wants to talk about their mama to, to slam each other or to get into a war of words. But it was a little different. In that day, and, and I'm going to give you an example of it, but on one day, a rival baseball team shows up, and these are kind of the more upper upper class, I guess, group in the neighborhood uh, versus this sandlot group, and they show up, and they begin to have a war of words, and it's a perfect example, again, of not how to use your words, um, and I've actually even, though it was an older movie, had to edit some of these words these uh, words, and I did the best I could. It's still kind of edgy, but here's how it might go. And so you can picture yourself in this, especially if you were alive in the 62s. So they, they meet one another, their rival teams, and they begin with these insults. Uh, one rival team calls the Sandlot boys rejects, and they says, you're an assault, you're you are an insult to the game of baseball. So here we go. And there's two guys, Phillips and Ham Porter. Ham Porter's the Sandlot guy, and Phillips is the other rival team. So when he says that they insult him, he says, Well, come on, we'll take you on right here and right now. Come on. Phillips says, You ain't good enough to lick the dirt off our cleats. Porter says, Watch it, jerk. Shut up, idiot. Moron. Scab eater. Puss licker. You eat dog poo for breakfast, geek. You mix your Wheaties with your mama's toe jam. You bob for apples in the toilet, and you like it. You play like a girl. And then just when that said, every just shock. Both teams can't believe that came out of this person's mouth. What did you say? You heard me. Tomorrow noon at our Field. Be there, Buffalo breath. Count on it, Pie Face. So there's a war of words. You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, only a select people remember that. That's another saying in the movie. Now, this is actually pure entertainment. When you know that these young guys are getting paid to say these lines. They've been told what to say. And it's pure entertainment. and, And we walk away laughing. But if we heard this kind of war of words Like in the back of the church between two guys or a group of guys in our church? What kind of effect would it have on it? Or if you walk by and that was coming out of your son's mouth? What kind of effect? So, you know, in in Hollywood, it's, it's entertaining and it's different. But in real life, not so much. And, of course, we know our culture today is much crueler than it was then. And stuff like that can really get you hurt, maybe even killed. So the the war of words and these kind of things can be very, very dangerous. According to Scripture, you have to know when to hold them and know when to fold them, if you will, when it comes to what you should say and how you should say it. And the Bible surprisingly puts a strong emphasis on when to speak and when not to speak, even a strong emphasis on silence. And you think, well, if you're going to talk about conversation, what part does silence have when it comes to even godly conversational wise words? Well, it plays a huge part because part of speaking wisely is actually limiting what we say. So Proverbs ten nineteen, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. By the way, we'll be all over Proverbs, so you can flip your Bibles if you want. I'll read the scriptures for you. We can't park in one place. It's just how it's written. So when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The idea is that when words are many, uh, talking too much has this end result often of Turning into some kind of sin. Something was said when you just there's there's no you don't throttle your words. You, things come to your mind like in the war of words and saying lot, every mean gross thing that came to the mind. They just spoke it against each other. And Proverbs is telling us if we're not careful about the flow from mind to tongue, then transgressions will take place. So our speech might become unwholesome. It might just launch into some kind of attack or verbal assault. It might include um, unwarranted judgments or opinions just to get our point across. But it also means that it's not necessarily that we're saying unwholesome things, but but there's there's a sin in and even in and of itself just to be speaking too much. Because just to speak too much really points to the sin of pride or arrogance or self-exaltation because we're convinced or if I'm I'm convinced that you need to hear what I have to say, whether you want to say it or not. And that that just puts me above you. So so many words we have to be careful with that. It's kind of like I want to own the airwaves right now. I want to dominate the airwaves with my conversation. And I either assume that you need to hear it because I just speak platitudes, you know, wisdom just flows out of my mouth, or whether you want to hear it or not, I'm going to tell you because I'm that important of a person. So e- even without unwholesome things, there's just this self-exalting attitude behind many words. So Proverbs says, transgression is not lacking. I once heard somebody jest say, I love the sound of my voice. They were acknowledging, yeah, I talk too much. And it was all in, in, in fun when that person said that um, It was a, a, a neat person. But it was, it was neat to hear them recognize, I love the sound of my voice. Do we love the sounds of our voice? Restraint is prudence. And just because we might have something to say, something might come to our mind, just because we might have something to say doesn't mean we should Say it. Uh, It it might be left better for another time, or it may be better if we just don't say it at all. Scripture says that silence actually is a form of wisdom. Silence, and of course, we're not talking about those of us that are just too shy to speak at all. It's not exalting shyness because that that's also wrong because we're too shy. I've been too shy um, to speak. And it's that that's because I'm, I'm acting in fear. There's times when we actually should say something and we're not because we're scared or uh, we're letting fear or we're just being selfish. But this wise person may have something to say, but discerns that it doesn't need to be said at that time or doesn't need to be said at all. Proverbs 11:12. whoever belittles his neighbor. Lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. So you're, you're seeing the differences here. He uses the word neighbor. Whoever belittles his neighbor. And I want to just draw quick attention to this because that word is used often in the book of Proverbs when we're talking about how to wisely relate to one another. I think it's good to remember that when God thinks about us in community and relation, he sees us as neighbors. And a lot of times we're, we, we try to disconnect ourselves. We try to remain anonymous and and God's not looking down and, and, and saying, you know, when you happen to bump into the mass of impersonal humanity, be careful what you say. When God looks down at us, he sees us in community, community. He sees us as neighbors and he sees us in neighborhoods. And that kind of changes things because now all of a sudden what we say or don't say, it's not just about us. It's about who's, whoever is closest to us or the next person over or what they may hear and how they may take it. So this whole idea of even speaking at all is Is mentioned in the context of relationship. It's a a personal thing to speak to one another. So all of a sudden words just become a lot more valuable. When you look at that. And look at them in relation to community. The, The idea is that what we say or what we do or say or what we don't do or don't say has an impact on people. A rippling effect around those that are around us. So we want to keep. That in mind, as we think deeply about our words and how wise they are, when it gets right down to it, our words can be used for redemptive purposes. God uses our speech for redemptive purposes, but the enemy can also use our speech to tear things down and be disruptive and destructive. So that's why scripture is putting this emphasis on self-control, self-control with our tongues You know, our mouth could be good news or our mouth could be bad news. Hopefully, when you're coming into a group or you're approaching, people aren't thinking, "Uh oh, here comes some bad news. Hopefully, they're thinking, ah, here comes some good news. I'm so glad to see you. So here I am preparing this sermon. And, of course, I'm looking ahead to the, the next sermon on speech. And I'm reading all these proverbs. And two things are just flooding my mind as I read these. The first thing is that I'm very encouraged because I realize as I'm reading these Proverbs that compared to who I was and what I said before Christ came into my life, before I submitted my life to Christ, there's been great progress. And so I realize the power of God and the grace of God, he gets all the glory and the credit. But the world is a better place because of the grace of God exercised in my life, because of the teachings that I've been exposed to and just the power of God in my heart. And so I was encouraged. Of course, it's taken quite a bit of time to get from point A to point B in my sanctification, that area. But I was encouraged. Wow, there's actually progress been making here. And that's the power of the gospel where God takes uh, takes broken hearts or, or even Self-harming or those that would harm others. And and he just chips away at them and he brings grace and motivation to want to do the right thing. And so uh, my testimony is that is of the transforming power of the gospel. So I was encouraged. But on the other hand, as I'm reading these verses, I was also discouraged and convicted because I real I was reminded of things that I just hadn't studied for a while or looked at for a while. And I thought, man, I still have these big areas that I've neglected to grow in. I just haven't, I haven't been careful enough, caring enough to guard this part about me. And so I, I still say mean, hurtful things that are destructive and unkind. And so those are the two things that came to mind as I was looking at this, at these proverbs. So I, like every other Christian, I have choices to make. What, what do I do with these words? What do I do with this divine revelation? I don't lack for more things to turn over to God, that's for sure. But by God's grace, progress will continue to be made. So if we look back at Proverbs 11:12 again, where it said, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Belittling his neighbor lacks sense. Well, what could he mean by that? I think it's pretty obvious if we belittle those that are closest to us, we're going to disrupt whatever harmony we have in our relationship. It's not going to go well with us. We talk bad about our neighbors. They might come smash our mailboxes or smash our faces, depending on what kind of neighbor they are. And, and this, there's so much wisdom in silence. Silence, actually, in the Bible is cool. It's a cool thing to be silent. And you think, well, you're imposing modern day terminology on scripture to say that the Bible talks about being cool and keeping it cool. Actually, Proverbs 17:27, whoever restrains his words has knowledge and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. And actually, there's a correlation between our idea of cool and that because it means rather than getting all worked up ill-tempered, hot-headed, man, you just say one wrong thing and you got it coming to you. The the idea is that you're what we might say, cool, calm and collect. I'm not going to react in the flesh. I'm not going to do the things I'm thinking about doing right now. I'm going to remain cool. That gives me an opportunity to discern what's being said, to discern what's going on right here so I don't react too harshly. Remaining cool in our speech is, is a wise thing to do. I'm sure you've heard it said Your maybe your parents said this to you. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say it at all. That that comes out of Proverbs. That's a wise bit of advice. Um, matter of fact, today we might tell each other harshly to shut up. But in the um, in Proverbs, they're word for that was close your lips, close your lips. So Proverbs 17, 28, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. So here we have a case of a person who's characterized by being a fool, saying foolish things on un- unhelpful things. And yet at this one, in this one instant, they decided they were going to be quiet about something and all of a sudden they were credited with wisdom. Wow, this person is, is uh, demonstrating wisdom. So just one act of silence sometimes gives the impression that we are a discerning people. Listening is also a, not just about being silent, but listening is a huge part of being wise in how we can, we conversate with one another. Good listening skills. Proverbs eighteen thirteen, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly, and shame. Have you ever launched in to a tirade or a lecture before you really thought about what the person had just shared with you? Just go on and on and on, and on. I'll never forget the comment I got on one, back on one of my exams in college. It said, "Great answer." Wrong question. I went on and on and on about this, this subject, and I wasn't even talking about what they were wanting me to talk about. I misread. I misunderstood the question. This happens a lot, especially in parenting. In parenting. we um, Our children do something wrong. We immediately don't like it. And so... Our reaction is to just what are we supposed to do? We just have to light right into them. Just got to let them know how wrong it is that they have done this thing. And a lot of times we already got it figured out. There's no need for you to say anything because I already got it figured out. I know exactly what you were thinking and why you did it and everything. And we jump to all these conclusions and we're very confident, sure about ourselves. And so we are lighting into them. And what do they do? They clam up. What else can they do? They clam up. They don't get to say a word. We didn't listen. We didn't even give an a chance. Uh, I have been very guilty of this in my parenting and still am guilty of this in my parenting, even though I've tried to make um, some headway. Teenagers, especially not just the kids, but especially teenagers actually need to be heard. They They need to wrestle with the ideas that are in their heads. They're trying to. This is when they're developing worldviews. They're trying to figure out how life works, how the Christian what the Christian life supposed to look like. And so they have all these ideas and some of them are silly and some of them to us. You know, we just shoot them right down And, and they may be wrong and they may be silly, but they need to be heard. Why? Because they're wrestling with all the ideas. What do I do with all these ideas? They're trying to figure life out. And it's actually very important that we listen to them, give them the opportunity to speak. Maybe they were wrong. Maybe what they were thinking was absolutely crazy and foolish, but it's just wise to give people an opportunity so we can hear from their perspective. Before we shut them down and shut them out, Proverbs twenty nine, twenty. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. What does haste mean? It means we, we spoke too soon we Haste means, uh, if I say make haste, it means be quick about this. Sometimes we're too quick in our comments. In preparation for marriage, um, one of the biggest things that makes for a good marriage is good communication. And Lisa and I stress this whenever we have opportunity to speak to couples who want to be married. Good communication is absolutely crucial. And one of the things we can't do in our marriages is is to be hasty with our speech. And so there are good communication practices. And just to give one example, one of the things that is in the book and we teach when you and your spouse are trying to come to grips with something is to say, let me let me make sure I've under I'm understanding what you're saying. You're saying this and you repeat it back to them. Before you think you know what they're saying or you've you know, you've jumped to conclusions and you've misjudged them and so forth, because sometimes it's so important for us to hear what other people are saying. And we miss it a lot. We miss it a lot. Communication is not as honed. We can get better at it. That's the beauty of it. But it's not always as honed as we'd like to think. So a good practice is. Let me just make sure I'm hearing you right. You're saying this and you repeat it back to them. And that gives them an opportunity. to say, oh, You got it all wrong. That's not at all what I said. Or that's exactly what I'm saying. It's a good communication skill. So wise speaking and wise listening go hand in hand. Well, some of us just aren't good listeners. Um, we're already the person's talking. If you ever, you're speaking to somebody and you know you're talking and you can see they are not listening to you. They're formulating what they're going to say next, because it doesn't really matter what you say. It only matters what they say. But yet good listening is a tremendous skill and very important skill. Proverbs fifteen twenty eight: The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. So there's like a, a, a very straightforward scripture on how, what kind of communicator are we going to be? Are we going to be the kind of person that thinks through things, stop and think, kind of like if you're on fire, stop, roll and so forth. Before your tongue goes on fire, stop and think, ponder, look at the circumstances. Are you taking all of this incorrectly? What's going on here? It's the power of the tongue. What is our culture in the habit of doing? What are we in the habit of doing? Would you say that our culture is described as a people who actually value the words and stop and think? Or are, are we the kind of culture? No, we're just going to say it. Period. Doesn't matter what comes out of our mouths. It's what matters is that I get to speak, that I get to express myself. But the person that ponders is careful not to let their words be misunderstood and not to be used for evil. Now, on the other hand, you have this person that that the wicked pours out evil things. The NIV says gushes. It's a gusher. I mean, you need to put a diaper on that mouth because it has the runs, basically. That's the idea there. It's just this nonstop, uncontrollable Gush of evil because they're not restraining themselves at all. And of course, no pun intended, but think about the mess that that makes. So what comes after properly listening and developing this school, this skill? Well, then scripture exhorts us to speak. So there is a time to be silent. But there's also a time when we actually are to speak and say things and share things. Proverbs 15:7 the lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the heart of fools. And then Proverbs 16:23 the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Have you ever spoken to a someone that you would consider a wise person? It's, it's quite a delight to speak to someone that, ha- that is gracious in their speech and very wise because you're in their presence and you realize, wow, this person is is telling me things that I need to know. They're sharing things. I didn't know this. And it's very, very helpful. And out of their mouth come useful things and information. Not so with the fool. The fool really has nothing useful to say. There's nothing beneficial. You walk away with nothing. Although there were many words spoken. But those with wisdom, they have this ability to impart wisdom just by their speech. You learn something. And keep in mind also that when the the scripture talks about being wise, it's not just measuring IQ and how many facts you know. But when we began this study, it has to do with the, the moral dynamic. There's always a moral dynamic to being wise. It's not just passing tests. So you're, you're imparting not just facts, but this, this righteousness with your speech. It's like you're, you're painting pictures of good. Your pain, somehow you're bringing you're exalting the beauties of God in your speech and if there's a moral dynamic to it and as you share that with people, they're absorbing it. Our minds absorb these kind of things. We ponder them, we think about them. We either keep them or discarding them. So people can, we, we can actually um, spread righteousness and very useful things into people's heart just through our everyday conversation when we practice these kind of principles. So there is a time to speak and then also Proverbs talks about silence and then a time to speak but also the timing when to say things. Proverbs 25:11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. And then 15:23 says to make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season how good it is. Have you ever received a pat on the back or a word of encouragement in per person or an email or a letter or a little note. And man, God just used it. It spoke right into your heart. It was just just almost like taking a medicine because it was perfect timing. It was exactly what you needed to hear. Speech can be used like that. And we can that 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 sensation that we experience from others, we can also play a part. In that by being wise in what we say and when we say it. So there's there's a right time to say things and a wrong time to say things. It reminds me of um, I've been watching more football than usual because Josiah has been coming to the house on Sundays to watch football. And I'm not a big football fan, but I'm learning a few things. And I, I knew this anyhow. But but you see it when they play when a quarterback throws the ball. He doesn't throw it to the receiver. He throws it where the receiver is going to be. So there's this very strategic timing that takes place in order to make the connection that needs to be made. Otherwise, it could be underthrown or overthrown. And there's a sense that with our speech, though, we might have something we really want to say and we think it might be helpful to that person. We have to we have to discern is is this the right time? Or should I throw it where they're going to be? And then I know it's going to connect. I know they're going to hear it. And it and it won't be fourth down in 10. I didn't get anywhere. I lost yardage. You know, we we apply this to our families. We could apply it to our marriages, of course, but speech really comes into play when when parenting is at hand. I mean, you know how it is, parents. How many times do we go to bed and we feel defeated? I blew it again. I blew it again. But especially with parenting, when we think about timing, and it's our job to instruct our children in the Lord. And there are are times where we just want to dump instruction on our children instead of waiting for a proper time. So here's an example. Uh, You've told the kids, don't throw the ball in the house because it will break things. Sooner or later, you're going to break something. There's a lot of things to break, so don't throw the ball in the house in the house and then uh, you're in the room and you hear this crashing noise and you run out and something's broken. And one of your children, they have played ball in the house and that maybe even standing there with the ball and they look terrible. I mean, they're almost into tears and you can see, we know our children, you can see they're broken up about, they realize I really should not have done that. Now, what, I would do is didn't matter how broken they were about it. My rules were broken. And so I have to just make sure they feel the full extent of the guilt. I told you this would happen. A valuable family treasure has been broken and you didn't obey me. You should have been, you know, and you just, you just go into it. Now, that's not always the best timing. Because if you sense that your child's already broken up about, especially if they're a little bit older and they have brains and they can think through, the best teaching opportunity is to let them learn and work it through. So this would be, actually be a good time rather than speaking to listen. What's going on in your mind right now? Maybe even go and help them clean the mess up. What are you thinking right now? Just to see if they got the lesson or not. You know what's in your head. How? What are you feeling? And and was that wise? And what were the consequences? In other, in all words, let them learn it for themselves. They may have been thinking about these things, and they were about to learn a very valuable lesson personally and own it. And we blew it because we there we go just lecturing again. So this idea of timing on what to say—it's so practical and it's so. Important. Wrong time can even be a curse. Proverbs twenty-seven, fourteen: whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Proverbs 25, 20, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart. Is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. The vinegar and soda don't go well together. They explode. They're not a good combination. A happy song to a very troubled heart is not a good combination. It's being insensitive. It's somebody might not sit well with that person. They may even resent it. If we try to be too cheery. When a person needs time to grieve with the thing that they're wrestling with, you know, Scripture says there's a time to to weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. Don't trying to mix these up and rejoice when a person's mourning is not always a good combination. There's a um, there is a song that to this very day causes my stomach to churn, and it's a great Christian song. But just even thinking, rehashing this story makes my stomach churn a little bit because it was just bad timing to be hearing the words of this song. Well, Lisa and I and David, her brother, were on. I don't know if it was I was taking them to school, it was early one morning, maybe back to the Meekins house. And um, I lost control of the vehicle and and had an accident. We slammed in, I've told this before, slammed into the bank, went upside down. we're, We're spinning around in one of the back roads. I think we're. Hannah lives about where Hannah lives now, and so we were in this accident. Um, my, my, my adrenaline is pumping. I, I the, the car's upside down, and so I got. I think to myself, I got to get out. Where is everybody? And I, I'm wondering, did I just, did I just kill David and Lisa? And so I kick the door open. The roof was smashed. I kicked the door open, and I get out, and I'm, I'm like, what? Where is everybody? And David got thrown out of the back window into a nearby field. So he's gone. And I don't know where Lisa is because when we we hit, somehow we crossed in the air. She was in the passenger seat in the front, and I, of course, was driving. Somehow we crossed. I don't know how it happened, but in all the twisting and turning. So I didn't realize that we crossed paths. And I don't know where she is. And then I hear this little whimpering voice, Paul, Paul. So my adrenaline is rushing. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I reach in there. I just do everything you're not supposed to do. I just grab her and pull her right out. Um, and are you OK? And then where's David? So anyway, I, I'm, the, things are going through my mind. It's traumatic. And I'm I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen there? Have I killed them? No, they're still alive. They're going to be OK. But. Am I going to be killed by Kirk? Is he going to kill me for risking their lives? Are the police, what are the police going to do to me? And all this is going through my head all this time. Of course, the car's upside down and I'm thinking it's going to blow from watching movies. It's going to blow. What do we do here? And the whole time, very loudly, this song by the twins, Rick and Mick are playing. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, he's the open door. People need the Lord. When will we realize people need the Lord and and they're just singing it and singing it and it's really loud. And I'm thinking, shut oh, I don't want to think about evangelizing right now. I'm thinking about my own life. And so dangerous or not, I went into the car and I turned the radio off and it was like. I, I just didn't need to hear those words. They're, they're good for other time. And to this, it was bad timing to this day. I cannot stand that song. Yes, people need the Lord. We need the Lord. But not when you've just nearly been killed. And almost lived with the guilt of taking other people's lives. So, I needed the Lord, but not in that way. So, controlled speech is a must as we... As we wind down this morning, controlled speech is an absolute must for those that fear God. And controlled speech is something that obviously we can apply all the time because of how many words that come out of our mouth on any given day. That's how practical it is. The idea is that we need to really value our speech. And the idea of putting neighbors into it reminds us that we should value others as well. It's not just about us. And in today's culture, there's so many words spoken. People just express themselves right or wrong. And what that does is devalue the power of words. It, it just makes them meaningless. If everybody's just talking a bunch of gibberless, gibber, gibberish and and purposeless things, it's like inflation. It devalues the the preciousness of it. And they're no longer something we we tune each other out. You don't even want to hear words anymore because we're so used to hearing worthless things. We want to just keep this in mind. Um, It's interesting to watch the presidential debates because there's one Republican candidate in there that, um, well, there's some in there that, Well, you know, rhetoric and politics and you bash each other. But there's one guy in there that Ben Carson, they don't the media does not know what to do with him because he's so soft spoken. And he he doesn't bash, at least yet that I know of. He hasn't bashed the other candidates. And they really want these guys to fight because it makes headlines. They want them to to, to go toe to toe and get into a war of words because then you'll read about it. But he so far has has exercised, I think, good self-control. And been a good model with his speech. So, applies to that, but it applies to our church. It means that there are lots of opportunities to say nothing. Just to say nothing to one another. To exercise self-control, to ref- refrain from that judgment, refrain from that opinion. And uncontrolled tongues were learned that they stir up trouble. Things that should have never even got off the ground. An uncontrolled tongue will stir up trouble. We'll look at this in the next message about the content. But it can be very, very hurtful and very, very destructive. We want to walk away from this valuing our God-given ability to communicate and speak. To treat one another with respect, especially in relation to our words. To, To be a people that fear God with our speech. Pop culture doesn't value words and and just by adhering to this and and trying to honor god in our lives with this we can create a culture that's different that's more peaceful that's more pleasant to be and it's that safe haven that the scripture talks about coming along people of god because they're no we're not perfect but just like me there's a little bit of transformation taking place so it's a, a better place to be and our words can be redemptive, gospel-centered, glorifying to Christ. So, so practical. And we say so many words each day. So that's what it means to be counter-cultural, if you will. We have to be differently, different in order to be biblical. So that's kind of God's vision for his people, for us as neighbors. That's a project for us to work on, is is our speech. There's plenty to do, to be the people that God envisions who are wise in their speech. Now we have an opportunity, of course, to continue to use our speech and our words wisely as we as we continue to worship the Lord in praise and then the Lord's Supper. May God bless the preaching of his word. Amen.